Welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman, a podcast loaded with practical tips, powerful scripts, personal stories, and simple steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. So get ready to get the information you need to make the impact you want from someone you trust, your friend, parenting expert, Dr. Robin Silverman. Hello and welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything, where we give you the tips, scripts, stories, and steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. I'm so honored to be your host, Dr. Robin Silverman. I'm the child and teen development specialist, speaker, and kid conversation expert, and most importantly, parent of two great kids who give me the opportunity to love, learn, and grow every single day, whether I want to or not. Believe me, I get it. It's not always easy, but we're in this together, and we have some great people helping us along the way. Now, what if we could compile all the unwritten rules of being a good guy in one place? That's what we're doing today during our show. And it comes down to one major lesson that keeps our favorite young boys, young men, teens, tweens, from crossing into some ugly territory. And it's simple. Other people are also humans, right? And because other people are human, We want our boys and young men to be aware of how they conduct themselves in all of their interactions with their family, their friends at work, to women, online, in the world, and yes, to their own selves as well. Our next guest gives us, gives it to us straight and for good reason. She wants us all to raise kind men who show respect and see everyone's humanness and dignity. Kara Kinney Cartwright is the author of just don't be an ass whoop, an a-hole, a surprisingly necessary guide to being a good guy, a frank and funny guidebook designed to help teach young men how to have positive interactions, make good decisions, and recognize when they are being jerk faces. Kara lives in suburban Maryland and works in legal publishing. She married a total good guy and through relentless lecturing, teasing, and cash bribing, as well as tricking, they have raised two sons who are not a-holes for the most part. If you happen to know her in person, she wants you to know that her book is not about you for the most part. Welcome, Kara Kinney Cartwright, to How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Thank you so much. What a wonderful introduction. I'm very happy to be here. Well, I'm glad you're here. Before we get into everything, for those of people who haven't yet picked up your book or heard you speak, can you tell us what gets you up in the morning and what got you so interested in talking about boys not being a-holes? There's this moment in parenting and speaking from my own experience, which is parenting adolescent boys, when um, you realize that your precious little angel looks like a man and sounds like a man to Mm -hmm. everybody else. And in that moment, I think you begin to question yourself as a parent and, and you start to wonder, have I told them everything they need to know before they go out in the world? Mm. And it's that same moment, rather cruelly for parents, that teens uh, are least interested in hearing what the parents have to say. Mm. And our time with them uh, is 
limited, not only because they're so, well, in normal times, right, they're so busy, they're, they're going to school, they're doing their homework, uh, they're on social media, they're going to sports, doing other activities, they're with their friends. And so it's tough. It's really, really tough in that uh, limited window when we finally realize that our boys are becoming men and going out to impact the world, uh, that we have an awful lot to tell them in a very limited bandwidth to do it. So mm-hmm. that's what this book is all about. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. I, I'm I'm sitting here picturing in your home, like, <laughs> I'm like just trying to figure out, like, did you have notes all over the place? Did you start talking to them early? <laughs> did you, you know, stop them in their tracks and tell them to back up and come back in and try again? Like what, what was like, what was it in your house that kind of defines this book in action? Well, I would say all of the above, because part, uh, part of what we have to do as parents is keep trying, right? So we try everything. We're leaving notes on the mirror. We're texting. We're Snapchatting. Some mm-hmm. of the moms are on TikTok now. We're strapping them into the car and, and talking to them when they can't escape us. Uh, you know, we're, we're yelling down the stairs in the general direction of the gaming lair. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're calling as they uh, head out the door. You know, we may have like a, two seconds to, to give an admonition or a piece of advice. Uh, almost always when they have their back to us right Mm -hmm. at that age Mm -hmm. so it's all of it it's all of it Mm -hmm. I think and I think that's part of um of successful parenting is just constantly adapting to your child's emotional state and their availability and their preferred communication method and style and then just keep reinforcing those messages the same ones really that you've been giving them since they were four or five years old over and over and over for the new context that teenagers are living in. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So in my character education curriculum, Powerful Words, when I talk about the character concepts of honesty or trustworthiness, I say that it's about behaving with integrity, whether all eyes are on you or all eyes are looking away. That is when you're you're in the midst of peer, a peer pressure situation and everybody's looking or when you are alone and only have yourself to consult with as to what you choose to do. So in your book, you talk about not being an a-hole when you're at school, not cheating, not giving into peer pressure. And it prompted me to think about that concept again. You talk about weighing gains and losses, about perspective t- taking. So can you discuss how we can help our boys and young men make good choices not to be an a-hole, whether all eyes are on them or all eyes are looking away when they're in school or sort of out in the community with, you know, other people who might already be from school, like classmates. Mm-hmm. So teenage boys, I think, have a lot going for them already, right? I mean, they're very smart. They're very funny. They're quick. They're very loyal to their friends. Mm. They can smell a hypocrite from a thousand miles away. Mm, mm. <laughs> and they're totally gifted at disdain, right? There is no disdain, <laughs> like teenage disdain. So they have all they have so much going for them. And I'm, I'm a huge fan of them. But I think most parents would agree 
that they're not great at impulse control mm. and they're not terrific at assessing risk and predicting consequences mm. to themselves and to the people around them. And those consequences could be very small or they could be big deal mm -hmm. consequences. Mm -hmm. And so I think as parents, one of our challenges is to help personalize the impact of choices in a way that becomes important to our teenagers that in a way that's so important maybe that it outweighs that fear of embarrassment and rejection and that just all-powerful peer pressure mm -hmm. and so that takes some talking you know uh, there are there are a lot of situations in which you know teens think, oh, it'll be fine. Nothing's going to happen. It's going to be all right. And if, if anything happens, it won't happen to me. Or if it happens to me, it won't be a big deal. Mm. And so some of that, um, some of help, helping them to make good choices is to really talk through those consequences longer term. Mm. And, you know, some examples are just recently, um, as our country goes through this reckoning with systemic racism mm -hmm. and white privilege, some teenagers are finding their college offers withdrawn because of things they've said on social media. Right. And at the time they were saying it, they thought they were in a, in a privileged situation. And I mean, privileged in sort of the secret way. Right. Exactly. <laughs> in, that, in that context, they thought it, they were among friends and who would ever hear. And there's such a volume of social media. How would anyone know? But unbeknownst to them, people were taking screenshots and mm -hmm. remember mm -hmm. that situation. And so that's the sort of example that I think can really have an impact uh, on our teenagers. Um, and, you know, in every decision uh, context, we just have to search for a way to just really get their ear and try to personalize the consequences, um, short term and long term, so that they can understand how their actions impact not only others, because that's not always the most persuasive uh, mm -hmm. argument, but themselves in the long run. You know, it's funny when you're just talking right now, you know, yes, there's those really big situations that happen and we should absolutely be using those kinds of things that are happening in our communities and in our in the news to springboard conversations you know did you hear about this or mm. i had heard this happened in our community and what you're describing actually did happen in our community where um, there were screenshots taken of of conversations um, and things that people were saying on Snapchat and uh, it, it got to it got to people and then uh, there's now a lot being said about it and repercussions and then there's the you know smaller types of everyday things that happen where we again have almost like a sneak peek into seeing what is going on with our boys in their heads and and that we can actually have some key conversations instead of getting angry some key conversations about maybe some miscommunication that's happened i'm thinking to myself like in eighth grade i remember when i forgot to do a homework assignment and a friend of mine gave me you know the opportunity to take what she had and, and write it on my own paper. And I was sitting on the hallway floor and I was doing this seventh or eighth. 
and my teacher walked by and caught me. I still remember it completely. Mm-hmm. I remember the moment. I remember his face. I remember how I felt. I remember how he looked. And and I'm glad that I remember all that because, of course, that's that moment when you stop doing that. All You know, you, you don't do that again, right? I mean, right. You, but when I'm thinking about it, um, and I got a zero and, you know, I'm, I, I'm sure we talked about it. And I don't think that it went to my parents, but... It is an opportunity to say, wait a second, I think somewhere along the line you got the message that it is more important for you to get this assignment in than it is to be an honest person. So now we need to step back and talk about this because one is not only wrong, it makes you into the kind of person you wouldn't want to be. And the other is a mistake that you could have come to me and talked to me about and said, you know, I didn't finish the assignment. I, I missed it. And can I have some extra time, even though I probably am not going to get full credit? Isn't that correct? Yeah, that that is just such a perfect example. You know, how many times are we faced with a teenager who's made a bad decision? Mm-hmm. And as parents, we say, what were you thinking? Exactly. But we say it in anger. We're, yes. we're not really interested in the answer, right? Because no. we already have decided they weren't thinking at all. Right. But if we take the time, because, you know, a lesson for me in writing this book and in my parenting has been teenagers are people too, right? So we want teenagers to recognize the humanity in others. Mm-hmm. And as parents, sometimes it's really you know, we're trying to follow the playbook and do the right thing. And we forget that the person in front of us is also a human Mm -hmm. being. And so if we take the time to have that conversation and listen to the answer of that question, what were you thinking? Mm -hmm. Then we can understand not only the rationale, but the emotional place that our child was in when they made that Mm -hmm. bad decision. And they're they're learning. They're in that state of learning. And so there is a logic to it. Teen logic is not the same as grown-up person logic. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so if we take the time to hear it, then we can talk about two really important things. One is, okay, how are you going to make it right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know what you did wrong. How are you going to make it right? And two is, what's the plan for next time? So if if you were overcome by peer pressure, or if you were faced by two really bad choices, and you were trying to choose the less worst one, <laughs> less worst one, rather than going your own way and making a new path, how do you why do you think you'll be brave enough to do the right thing next time? Or what, what do you know now that will change your thinking mm, when this mm, situation comes up again? Mm-hmm. But if we skip that conversation, we miss the chance. Mm, I love that, that conversation. And we end up just repeating the do's and don'ts again, which, right. is not, which wasn't effective last time. So why would it be effective? This right. Time? So not allowing sleeping dogs to lie and also being able to say, look, this you're not this is not a conversation to reprimand you this is now a conversation to move forward from this and you know we all make mistakes now obviously sometimes there are going to be consequences plus this conversation of course of course that's going to happen but if we want our kids to talk we can't make those conversations so unpleasant and also make it so whatever comes out of their mouth gets them into more trouble, right? They're now coming clean about what they were thinking and, you know, and 
it's a time that we often have to reflect on on the modeling that we've done or the things that we've communicated to our boys. And that's not always nice and pleasant for ourselves. So no, it's really difficult. I mean, I don't want to to make it sound easy because it's not because if it's a if it's a like a major bad decision that they've made. So we're angry, you know, that this happened. And also we we have bad feelings around our own parenting, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> so we feel ashamed. We're, quest- yes. we're questioning ourselves and then we're blaming the child. I mean, it all... Oh, it feels it's, terrible. It's a, it's a fraught. It's yeah. a fraught situation. Yes. So it's not easy to just sit and listen and be calm. Um, and so maybe multiple conversations need to happen. Exactly. You know, maybe... Yeah, okay, you might you, have to step away at some point. Right, you might have to hear the thinking and then say, you know, thank you for telling me that. I'm going to come back and talk to you after I have a chance to speak with your other parent yes. or, you know, I'm going to sit with that a little bit and, and I just can't think, can't talk to you about it right now. We're going to talk tomorrow. Right. And sometimes that thoughtful resting period is also really effective uh, for your teenager. Mm. Um, more so than saying, okay, here's the, here's the consequences. You're grounded in this and then mm-hmm. the other thing. Sometimes letting them think about it and wonder what's going to happen next really um, gives them an opportunity to appreciate the impact of what's happened. Mm, Okay. So I want to just move to a different conversation uh, because your book is set up to address all different areas of a boy's life. So we want our boys to be good friends to their friends. And we touched on this a little bit, but... In many cases, I mean, really, we're not there to watch their behavior anymore. I mean, sometimes they're under our nose, but often not. And because this is no longer mommy or daddy comes along on the play date anymore. I mean, our kids are too old for that at this point. Our boys wind up making choices about borrowing money and paying it back or bailing on friends or showing up or being a good sport drinking, you know, countless other decisions. So what are the top lessons that we want our boys to learn when it comes to how they treat their friends or their friends' belongings or who pays for what and generally how to act so you don't wind up being an a-hole to your friends? I think um, as parents, we have the benefit of looking back on that time in our lives. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And we remember who was good to us and who treated us like people. And some of those people are still our friends. And the and the people that sort of hung around in our orbit who were just um, may, may have been amusing to us and maybe they made us laugh or maybe we were laughing at them. But the people that we couldn't count on, those people aren't with us anymore. They are not still mm-hmm. our friends. Right. And so part of looking back on that period of our lives as parents is to share with our children what really matters in a friendship. And it may not be what you think. So and I, I think there's a risk amongst teenage boys, um, amongst their friends, of because they have such strong loyalty um, that they feel like anything goes like sure. I can I, I can do anything. This guy's going to forgive me. Like I can if I don't pay him back, it's no big deal. Yeah, I asked him for 10 rides. He always gives me a ride. It's fine. So, you know, the sort of relaxed relationship where 
teenage boys may not realize um, that somewhere way in the back of their mind, people do kind of keep track of that stuff. Right. <laughs> and they kind of keep track of who, who's a plus in the relationship and who's a minus in it. And that, it, you know, if these people are important to you and you enjoy their company and you still want to be friends with them when you're not in the same class with them all day long every day or you don't have sports practice with them for three hours every afternoon, when you start to separate and go your separate way, and it seems like a long way off, but it's coming re really soon. <laughs> that if you want to maintain these relationships, you got to keep your word. You got to mm. do what you say you're going to do, and you have to sometimes act in the best interest of your friend, even if it's really, really hard for you to do. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not fr friendship is fun, uh, but it's not always fun. Mm -hmm. That the, there there's work involved in a friendship, and so it's important for them to realize just at the most basic level, you know, what it means to be the guy who can be counted on to help other people do the right thing. What was your guidance to your boys regarding money? Like, if they borrowed money, how quickly they needed to pay it back, or if somebody was giving them rides about gas money, you know, what, or, or going out to eat or, or whatever with their friends. What was your, your guiding principles? I think the guiding principle is you pay your own way. You pay your own way. And I think they're like, maybe this even starts to happen in elementary school and maybe in middle school where your uh, child comes home with something from school and you're like, where'd you get that? Mm -hmm. And they go, oh, so-and-so gave that to me. Right. So that's a moment right there at that early age. Maybe you're in third grade or fourth grade. Maybe it's even younger in kindergarten um, where you could say, well, that's not yours. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's not yours. They, they may, I don't know why they gave it to you. Let's talk about that. Did you give them something? Mm -hmm. Was there a promise? Oh, it turns out there was a promise right. you were going to pay for. Well, where did you think you were going to get that money? Oh, it was from grandma's birthday card or what? You know, you can sort of talk through what mm -hmm. was the plan there. But I, I think that's the sort of lesson that actually happens, starts to happen quite early. Mm -hmm. Um, that you can talk about, you know, well, why, why do you think you should have it? Do you think you should have it more than they should? Well, even if they have more of that than you, it's still theirs. Mm -hmm. That doesn't make it yours. Like, were they sharing? Was it a gift? You know, mm -hmm. what's the relationship? Just to sort of help them think through, like, what's, what, what does that do to your relationship when you're on the accepting end of that? And what is it, how does it impact your relationship when you're on the giving or the loaning mm -hmm. end of that? And that in general, it really works out better if everybody does their own thing. And sometimes that means you don't get to go. And that sucks. Like, you know, right. that's not, that's not a good feeling. Mm -hmm. But other times there are other people who can't go and that's not great for them either. So it's just there's always someone with more than you. There's always someone with less than you. It's always going to be like that. Mm -hmm. So the sooner that you can accept that and appreciate that it's not actually the true, honest end of the world, <laughs> if you don't get to do something or have something, uh, the better off you're going to be. It also might be a good time for, for you to say if that's something that you're interested in, let's talk about ways that you can earn the money to be able to do that. And it's also a time to be able to say, okay, I can understand you're going to do this. You did this trade. So did he value what you gave him 
as much as you value what he gave you? Did it feel fair? Does it, everybody right. feel like they came out better for it? Because I feel like in some ways, of course, we want our kids to to see that and be able to do that. That's part of childhood. And mm-hmm. I gave him my Rubik's Cube and he gave me this, you know, bobblehead and and everybody feels like they came out better for it. That's, you know, those are good situations because they they are now considering both what they got and if what they gave was was as valuable to the other person. So, you know, for me, I feel like as you you can pay your own way, but you also uh, can can allow for some of those things to happen. And if they feel like, you know what, I'm now am feeling a little sad about the exchange. Well, what's really going on there? You know, are you feeling like he, you know, he cheated you or you cheated him or, you know, what's, what is that thought? Because those are valuable feelings that are coming from those exchanges and maybe will help to guide what they do in the future. Would you agree with that? Oh, that's so perfect. And you put it so much more beautifully than I ever could have. The fairness principle, right, is really what underlies all of that. And so I love the idea that that is the opportunity to start talking about that. Mm-hmm. That's perfect. Good. All right. So, you know, we, we've talked about friends and we are talking about school. And if we can look at our homes, we, we've we all heard, and I was thinking about this while reading that chapter on family, we've all heard that children and teens need a safe place to kind of blow off steam and, you know, be themselves after a hard day. You know, you have, we all have friends who say, you know, oh, it's better for them to be like awful when they're at home than if they're at somebody else's house. And you're like, yeah, no, it's, of course, like we don't want them to be awful in public, you know, to other people. And yes, I'd rather be in the house, but like, do I really want this in my house? We, we don't want to raise a-holes who are rude to the family. And, and it does push my buttons, if you probably can hear that in my voice, that if we're heading in that direction, it definitely pushes my buttons if my kids are, you know, starting to, you know, put on their bossy pants and, you know, make me feel like they're an employee that does not feel good at all to me. So mm-hmm. what do you want boys and young men to know about how to talk to their parents or their siblings and, and what to do when, you know, parents really want to raise sons who who are kind to their families what are we supposed to be doing in that situation when we you know are seeing that our kids come home and they kind of let loose but like in the worst way possible oh gosh you know this is so difficult and you know more than anyone like such a challenging dynamic both for the parent, because of you, as you said, you know, we we work really hard to to create a place where our children can walk in the door and be their true selves. But that also means that when there are spleens to be vented, they're being vented in our general direction. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that that's not a fun place to be. And then on the teenager side of it, I mean, honestly. You know, when I asked myself, how old was I when I realized that my parents were actual human beings? Mm -hmm. I might have been in my 20s, right? So we're the very last people that the teenage brain can comprehend (laughs) as as a human person. Like, Like, we we try to say, like, do you know daddy feels pain, right? Right, yeah, it's like so hard. But, you know, I'll say, I think 
right now in this bizarre captivity that we're living in right now, we have a real opportunity with our, especially with our teenagers, you know, maybe less so with the younger kids, to share our humanity with them by acting human in front of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because we're together, you know, many families right now, depending on if the kids are online schooling or if they're remote working a lot. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of young so adults who had, who had flown are now back, right? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> because they're, they're working remotely. So while we're all under the same roof, I think it's an opportunity to act like humans mm-hmm. in, in front of our older teens and our and and to share with them our own boredom and our own fear and our own frustration and our own worry and and maybe in that way we can begin to make some headway mm-hmm. <laughs> into into like letting them see it let the curtain fall um let them know that like we we recognize and acknowledge what they're going through uh and and guess what surprise we're going through it also with you and you should be able to tell because you can see me doing it 24 hours a day. Mm-hmm. We're, we're together here. And so I think in a way, like this is a, a weird opportunity for um, this cohort of teenagers to maybe have a better and earlier understanding um, than we did growing up of our parents being human beings with much in common. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's a really <laughs> with our, valid with our point. Own yeah. kids. And so, you know, in terms of what, what we want to accomplish, you know, I think it's persuasive. And I think it was persuasive for my younger son. Um, my, my older son is 22. And he uh, is living on his own now. And so he's sort of been a helpful mentor to my younger son as he comes through the end of his adolescence. He's 19. Mm-hmm. And so there have been moments, um, you know, when our younger son still lives with us, he's in college. And so he's home now, um, that the power dynamic is really hard, right? Because <laughs> he's becoming an adult and he's becoming more independent and yet we're still here. And mm-hmm. so, um, there have been moments where my older son has said to my younger son, just go with it. It's going to be easier. Like, just tell her, just tell her what she's asking you and then leave and do your thing. It's mm-hmm. going to, it's going to be fine. And so, nice counsel. You know, I think, yeah, I think there's, you know, a point and it's earlier for some, my, my older son realized it much earlier than my younger son did. Um, that if you treat your parents with a modicum of respect and you share enough information with them about your life that they feel like when you ask them, for permission to do something, they're actually deciding. You're not just telling them. <laughs> yeah. So oh, right, like the difference between you know, take me to right. my friend's house or uh, or get right, me a may I go? This is what's happening, mm-hmm. and you know, it, it's not in five minutes. Maybe it's tomorrow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, exactly. So, you know, he he had the realization that if he kind of got with the program of relating to us in a more adult way rather than like having I call it a mantrum which is like when a a person over five foot tall is slamming the door and stomping his feet and like throwing himself on the bed Mm -hmm. he he realized that if he related to us in a more adult way then that worked out a lot better for him that he he was able to uh, have more leeway and you know more freedom and because there was more trust Uh, so I I think it's the tendency of many teenagers um, to keep 
a lot of secrets from their parents and mm-hmm. to just and, and things that don't even matter mm-hmm. you know like what app are you looking at never mind you know <laughs> or right. you know who are, who are you texting no one like they're just their reflexes to share zero information uh so i think if they can understand that if if they if they give us a little then that helps build the trust right so like if we can see them making good decisions. And I think many teenage boys are making good decisions, but their parents have no idea. Mm. So if they were a little more forthcoming with us and a little more conversational and a little less screamy, uh, then maybe it starts to help our brain also understand that they're becoming an adult and that there are some changes we need to make in our approach too. But those things sort of have to happen in tandem, which is really Is that something that you feel that parents should be talking about with their kids or be or by experience there to learn that? I think we should show our cards mm-hmm. always. I don't think we should have um, secret tests that they, we, they don't know about. Yes. <laughs> I think, I think if we're, if we're expecting certain behavior in order to move to the next level of adulthood, whatever that means in our house, whatever privileges or responsibilities that means, we should say that out loud. We should say, you know, if if this is something you want to do, what I would really like to see first is you behaving in this manner. Mm-hmm. And so are, are you achieving this goal mm-hmm. um, before we move to the next thing? Or, you know, before you go to this kind of social event, um, you know, I would like to see you be successful over here when we go to this family party and maybe talk to the people. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> and be nice to your grandma instead of just looking at your phone. Like, you know, I, I think we can, right. we can set um, goals you mm-hmm. know, to help them achieve the next level. And, you know, if there are things that we think we ought to be seeing that we're not seeing, we should definitely say that out loud. It doesn't help anybody when we have some kind of secret expectation. Agreed. And, and I'm all about talking. So I would imagine that being able to say when you thank you for sharing what you're doing today uh you know with me when you share details like that it just builds our trust and it makes me feel like i want to give you more privileges I that's mean, exactly right right yep. we could be as honest and open um when when you're sort of catching them doing the things that you want more of if my kid's away at camp and, the, and they write me a letter, oh, well, thank you so much for writing me a letter. I so appreciate getting <laughs> letters from you. It really makes me feel this way. And I makes me want to write you back as soon as possible. You know, everybody winds up benefiting. So what about, you know, we're at the point where boys, you know, they're, they're growing up, they're, you know, taking on jobs, they might have summer jobs, they might be doing, you know, babysitting. Um, the kid across the street from me right now is detailing cars. Some kids I know are lifeguarding. They've, they scoop ice cream. They do stuff at takeout restaurants. So when kids get into the workforce, it becomes a time to grow up in many ways. So what do you want boys and young men to know about responsibility when it comes to work? Whether it's, you know, doing things within the house that they've, you know, committed to do or need to do or outside of the house? And why is it so important to not be an a-hole at work to others while while they are in that situation? Well, 
first of all, I think it's terrific when teenagers have jobs. And in, in both of my boys, I saw a real jump in their maturity level mm. when they started to work for someone other than us. Mm-hmm. Good point. <laughs> and so, you know, it, it really reinforces the lessons we've been trying to teach at home when they go out in the world and see uh, other people's expectations. And they can see the difference between someone who's working hard and someone who's hardly working. And they can, you know, feel in their heart how that affects them when someone on their team is not pulling their weight. I mean, it's just so, there's so many great lessons uh, from going to work. Uh, what I have seen and, I, you know, I have to say um my family is very privileged in many ways. Uh, we live in an affluent suburb. People are very highly educated. Uh, the children are very affluent. And so it's a big shock for a lot of kids at how hard you work and how little you get paid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, you know, I think that's a really important thing uh, to prepare um, to prepare boys for because they, you know, Parents have worked hard for a really long time uh, to provide kids with what they have. And I don't, because we don't work in front of them. Well, except for now, right Mm -hmm. now, everybody's like, this is a big lesson. All the kids that are at home seeing how hard their parents work and what work consists of and what it sounds like and what it looks like. That is like an amazing lesson. Mm -hmm. Uh, But in in a normal situation, that's invisible. That's invisible to the kids. So they don't really, they don't really expect it to be that hard because they don't think very highly of us, honestly. (laughs) And so, you know, I think that's something we really have to prepare them for and to say, you know, when someone's your boss, they're the boss. (laughs) So you have to do what they say. Mm -hmm. And they're paying you this money and that's what you agreed to work for. And you may not think it's very much, but that's the job and they're willing to pay you for it. And as long as someone's willing to give you money for that task, it's not a thankless task. It's a task with value mm-hmm. to the person who's paying you, to the people on your team, to the customers you're serving, mm-hmm. uh, to to a variety of people, including yourself, because you're going to get paid. And so, you know, those those your know, core values, uh, whatever they are in your family, in our family, uh, one of our Cartwright rules is we do what we say we're going to do. Yes, that's just the rule. If we say we're going to do something, we do it. And so. You know, when you're at work, if you say you're going to do something and then it turns out to be way harder than what you thought because you never did it before. So you didn't really know what was involved or, you know, you can't count on the other people. It's like every group project yeah, no right kidding. Here, it's happening in the workplace uh, or you didn't have what you needed. What, whatever the reason you said you were going to do it. So you got to find a way to get mm-hmm. it done. So, you know, I think there are a lot of really, really great lessons uh, for boys to learn at work. But I, I think as parents, it's our job to kind of prepare them for what they're going to face. I I think many teenagers today are very surprised by how hard and boring that first job is. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I, I, you know, I think we can shed some light on that um, and maybe help them to understand how um, treating that first boring, hard job uh, with respect and hard work is what gets you to the second less boring, less hard job. And I thought that was really important in your book that you talk about that. I mean, it's it's not a consequence in the same way as you often think about consequences, but it is exactly a consequence when you are, are kind to others and you work hard and you're known for working hard in your first job, then the consequence of that behavior is that when you're, a, you, you're 
able to get a second job, a recommendation. Um, you 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 obviously learn your lessons. You have a reputation, and all of those things bring you to the the next the next level. So I, I really appreciated that. We also have we've spent some time on this podcast talking about boys and men and how they are treating girls and women. Um, with Richard Weisbord of Making Care in Common at Harvard, we talked about misogyny and how boys can have respectful romantic relationships with women or not. Um, if you're in a relationship with a, a woman, um, you know, if that's something that you want right now, like there are ways that we act, there are ways we don't act. Um, we've also talked about the dangers of porn with Gail Dines, um, with uh, Peggy Orenstein, with Cara Natterson um, for setting up expectations that actually are dangerous and wrong in sexual relationships mm -hmm. between men and women. Um, you talk about good ideas and awful ideas when it comes to the ways boys talk and behave about women or towards women. So what do you want our boys and young men to know in this regard? I think it's so important, and I know you've talked a lot about this on your podcast, to give them the script. Yes. Because... You know, there's there's so much in the atmosphere right now about misogyny and fez feminism and respect for women and romantic relationships, porn, everything you just mentioned. Mm -hmm. But I'm not sure if that always translates to knowing what to do in a particular moment. And so I think, you know, what I attempted to do in the book is reflect all of that, all of those standards that you just described, all of those worries, all of my hopes <laughs> for my boys to have healthy and happy relationships, basically into do's and don'ts mm -hmm. um, to say, you know, a, a, a boy might think like it's a great idea to surprise a girl at nine o'clock at night by waiting by her car oy, oy, oy. high school no. parking lot. Like, right? Like, <laughs> he might think that's romantic. That is not cool. Like, don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. that. I mean, they have to get over the shock of having right. somebody there. Yes. Right. And even just, you know, explaining, like, if someone goes, if, if you're in a physical relationship and somebody goes, okay, I guess. Like, that's not the same thing as saying, oh, yeah, I really yeah. want to. Yeah. Like, there's a difference between okay and yes. Like, we, I think we need to get, like, really dig into those details and to describe what we think respect and consent and communication and understanding what those things look like mm -hmm. so that when the time comes – they're not making it up as they go along. They have a plan. They have a set of words in their mind that feels comfortable to them. I mean, as comfortable as can be, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> in that awkward dynamic, that awkward situation. I mean, they're talking about two double awkward dynamics. Right. One, that you're talking about this with your parents at all. Really uh, yes. unbelievably awkward. And number two, that you're actually in this situation with somebody who you want to have a romantic relationship with. And you actually have to say these words out loud and have this exchange like both are awkward both are it's all extremely awkward and as parents in my family 
humor and teasing, like that's our love language, right? So that's the kind of family we have. And so, you know, we can sometimes use humor to open the door to bigger conversations about these topics and also to reinforce, you know, after you have that big, awkward lecture, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you can maybe use a little humor to reinforce the lesson on the way out the door. And I'll tell you, there have been times where my sons have walked out the door and, you know, they're going to some kind of co-ed event. And you know, that those teenagery things they do that like get your mom spidey sense, like (laughs) edgy because you're not sure the details are kind of hazy and, you know, he'll be going out the door and I'll say, breasts were not created for your amusement, sir. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And and he knows what exactly what I mean. Mm -hmm. He knows, he knows that I, I mean, like, this is not a public thing that happens. This is a private thing that mm-hmm. happens. And people need to give consent. And mm-hmm. both parties need to be clear headed. Like, we've already discussed all of that. So, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes that awkwardness, you can maybe dispel it with yes. a little bit, a little bit of humor. Oh, absolutely. Thank you for giving that example. Because I'm sure people were wondering, oh, wait, look, what's the kind of thing that that is going on? And that we would, <laughs> that we might say, you know, that, uh, that that would be something that you know maybe somebody else could say in their house. It, it is a hard conversation to have, and there are many of them that we need to have. Yes. Uh, but and from a young age, but it is something that has to happen in order for our boys to be getting the correct information and be being the trusted source because we are. They do want to have these conversations. Studies tell us that. Boys and girls, teens want to have these conversations with their parents. They want to get the correct information, but we often let it slide because it feels so awkward having it. And I have to say that while you're in the conversation, it's kind of like when you're doing most anything, like when you're on stage, like you're going on stage and your stomach feels terrible when you're about to walk out there. But like once you're in it, it actually isn't that bad. Cringy is good, right? Like those cringy yeah. <laughs> situations. You know you're doing something right. Like don't you right. feel like you're at the utmost of parenting when that's happening? Yeah. And, and we're modeling how to have a conversation when we're not 100% sure of what to say. Yes. When we're trying to do the right thing, but we're not completely sure of how to do it. Yes. And that's so important because... You know, I want my boys in any social situation to be the one that does the right thing and to turn the tide, to bring the guys around. And it's not always easy to do that. And you don't always know how to do it in the moment. Mm -hmm. So if I can model for them being uncomfortable and and coming out on the other side, like if I can model calling another mom that I don't know. Um, that I feel nervous about asking, are you going to be there? How many kids are going to be there? Mm-hmm. Is, are, how many parents are going to be there? Will they be in the basement? Is there going to be alcohol? You know, who's sleeping over? If I can model standing up for them and doing the right thing, you know, if I can model getting through an awkward conversation with them, then maybe they, having seen it, will be more willing to do it themselves. Very good point. So, you know, I, I I have like all these other questions that I want to ask you, but before we get to the, the final one, because we don't have all the time in the world, but I could speak to you all day, 
Oh, that's so kind. (laughs) Could you just say a few words about, because a lot of what you're talking about is really in person, but, you know, kids are online more than ever now. And you even say in your book, you know, if in just a few clicks you can find a pocket of people who validate any terrible inclination your neurons misfire, it can be tough to notice when you've drifted in a-hole into a-hole territory. And I agree with that. So what would you say are like your top three rules or guidelines that you would want our boys and young men to follow so that they don't end up to be like a troll, a lurker, a liar, or general a-hole online? Oh, this is like such, and this isn't just a teenage problem. This is a society problem, right? I mean, this is a major, major problem. So, you know, I would say the top three important things for, for boys to know online, and some of this they know it and they're better at knowing it than we are. And the first one is not everything you see is true. Mm-hmm. And my sons in particular, having grown up in the digital environment, mm-hmm. they believe almost nothing they see. So mm-hmm. that one, I think a lot of teenagers have got down. Uh, number two is if you have to hide the fact that you are participating mm. in this community, you need to do some thinking about why that's the case. Mm. So if you don't want your parents to know what subreddits you're on, you know, if 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 your uh, grandma walks by and says, oh, what are you looking at? Mm. And you, you can't say it. You need to ask yourself about why that is. I love and the then, grandma test. I tell that uh, to my, my oh, kids yeah. all the time. Yeah. If that's Grammy very- was sitting right here, <laughs> would you be okay with what yes. she heard or saw? Yes, that's right. That's a good one. And then I guess the third one would be, are you spending your time wisely? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if you're spending a lot of time inside a particular community, what's the what's the end game? Like, is it for entertainment? Is it for validation? Um, Is it a community that takes action in some way in, in the real life community, you should as a rule, although now we're, you know, everything's upside down right now, but I think it's good for teenagers to have more in-person relationship Agreed. time than online oh, relationship yes. time. And so if they're retreating from their in-person relationships to take part in some online community, um, I think they should really think about whether this is a good use of their time and talent mm-hmm. and, and what are their personal goals? And is this helping them get there or should they be funneling their time into something else? Mm. I I love all three of those. And and I think that is really important for our kids to consider. Give us your top tip. What do you hope our listeners come away with uh, after listening to everything that you've said today about how to make sure they're raising boys and men who aren't becoming a-holes? I think we need to meet our kids where they are. And so, you know, I said in my family, we use a lot of humor. Mm-hmm. If, if your child has anxiety, you cannot, you know, burst into the uh, rec room and say, if you don't get your act together, you're gonna end up living down here and I'll have to wash your underwear forever. Like yes. that, that doesn't work for, 
for that child. So you have to know your child and then you have to keep trying. I would say just keep trying. Like you you know your family values. You've been living those values out loud in front of your teenager for many years by now. Uh, so, you know, if you're an engaged parent who's listening to this podcast, I want you to know it's going to be okay. Mm. <laughs> and so, and it's not, you know, once you're in teenage mode, there are a lot of big important conversations to have, but you have already done so much work to importing your values to your child and living them in front of them. And in many ways, you're in reinforcement mode, mm -hmm. uh, which I think is a really good place to be. Mm, well said. Thank you for that. Give us the resource of the week. Where can we go to get more information about you, you and your book and the things that you're doing around this, this very important topic? I'm, I'm looking because I'm trying to remember... <laughs> trying to remember my website. Uh, so if you go to PRH, uh, that stands for Penguin Random House, dot com slash just don't, uh, you'll be able to find a sample chapter to see if this is the right thing for your family. You can listen to a sample of the audiobook, a description about the book, a little more about me. So that would be a great place to start. Excellent. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for your insight and your strategies and your uh, scripts. To talking about these things are so important. We want to raise boys and young men who are wonderful additions to our families, our society, our schools, our workplaces. And I have no doubt that those who are listening are on the right track, but we all need help in all these different areas. So thank you so much for being here today. This was so fun. Thank you very much. Well, I thank you as well. And I've got my takeaways and sweet friends. I know you have yours. So let's discuss them. Come up on Facebook. We can go to the Dr. Robin Silverman page or let's chat about it at drrobinsilverman.com or twitter.com slash drrobin. I'm also on Instagram under Dr. Robin Silverman. And if you love this podcast, I hope you'll go up to iTunes and rate and re review it. I can't tell you how much it means to me that so many of you have gone onto iTunes and, and given that fabulous five-star rating, I so appreciate it. And I don't know if I say that enough. So thank you so very much. I love reading your comments and what you've gotten out of these podcasts. It means the world to me. And it also really helps people uh, who are on the show to get more visibility so that people can use their strategies in their own homes. So I truly appreciate you doing that. That's all the time we have for today. My fellow parents, leaders, and educators, thank you so much for tuning in to How to Talk to Kids About Anything. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please visit drrobinsilverman.com. There's so many great podcasts up there, and the show notes to this podcast are up there as well, in detail. And I look forward to weathering the storms and enjoying the sunny side of life together. And please remember, even on the days when you fall short, you've got this. You're here, you're getting the information you need, I know it's not easy, but never forget there's always tomorrow. Parenting is the ultimate do-over. I know you probably heard something today and you're thinking, yep, that's an area we need to work on. Yep, that's a conversation we need to have. Or I had that conversation and it was not a good one and I really need to do that again. That's okay. You can do it again. 
Every single day is a new day to try again. Every single moment, you have a new opportunity to do it differently. I see you and I'm right there with you. And as there are moments when we doubt our know-how, our choices, and our sweet sanity, please know you are 10 times the parent you think you are. Until next time, this is Dr. Robin Silverman with How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Please tune in again and keep connecting through conversation. See you next week. You've been listening to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please visit drrobinsilverman.com.